0: Our scripture text this morning comes from two passages. The first one is Exodus, and you will find it in your pew Bibles on page 111 if you wish to follow along. Exodus chapter 34. Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and as he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them... He put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had seen, commanded, and been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with God. Second scripture comes from the Gospel of Luke. In your pew Bible, it's page twelve. A minute to find it, in case you want to follow along. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, They saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then the cloud, from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my Son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent in those days and told no one of any of the things they had seen. The word of God for the people of God. in case it hasn't come through yet, today is Transfiguration Sunday. Transfiguration. At least a two-bit word. Although with inflation, a 50-cent word? Or maybe even a dollar? It is certainly not a word that we use in everyday conversation. I refer fondly to my religious background as lukewarm Protestant. And I don't recall learning this word. Even in my seminary studies, Transfiguration Sunday was not discussed. This said, you may understand my concern when Pastor Sarah made note that I would be speaking this morning. I invite you to come along with me and with God's help put some meaning behind this word. My grandson, Stephen, had a favorite possession as a young lad, a nighthawk. A nighthawk is a tiny little flashlight that attaches to your finger with Velcro. The light itself comes from a bulb the size of a BB, so it doesn't give a very good view of what's coming at you in the dark. For Stephen, the joy was he could wear it anywhere, playing tag with friends, taking an evening walk with Mom, or reading under the covers at night. The Nighthawk was able to pierce the darkness with a warm glow. We cherish the comfort of nightlights as children, but tend to forget as adults. The world can truly be a dark and scary place. But by the time we are grown, both our eyes and hearts become so accustomed to the dark we forget the warmth and radiance that light can bring to our soul. Our faith ancestors remind us that one of the primary ways God made the divine presence known on earth has been revealing glimpses, through revealing glimpses of divine light. The passage from Luke is known as the Transfiguration and would make a fabulous movie scene, don't you think? I mean... Imagine the special effects. The face changes, dazzling white light, sudden appearance of two new people, the overshadowing cloud, and then the disembodied voice. This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Wow. Wow. As awesome as this scene is, It's hard to imagine how the disciples never told anybody. God is always present in creation and humanity. But when God wants to bring special illumination to an event, an event or a messenger or a message, God doesn't hesitate to turn on a light. The disciples want to build three temples of light a transfiguration booth to serve as a light at the end of the tunnel, a beacon beckoning those squinting from dim tunnel vision or those stuck at the end of long, dark tunnels. Jesus rejects the light at the end of a tunnel understanding of discipleship and challenges them to embrace a tunnel at the end of a light discipleship. Let me repeat that. Jesus rejects the light at the end of a tunnel, understanding of discipleship, and challenges them and us to embrace a tunnel at the end of the light, discipleship. The church is not called to to invite people out of the darkness into the light so much as to bring the light into the darkness. We spend much of our time building booths, our own safe temples of light, our church buildings and communities, and too often fail to spend anywhere near that much time bringing light into the dark tunnels. The Transfiguration does not call us To be a light at the end of the tunnel, waiting for people lost in the dark to blunder their way towards us. The church is to take the light of truth, the gospel and glory of Christ, boldly into the tunnel. There is always a tunnel lurking outside our ring of light. If we are to enter the tunnel at the end of the light, if we are to poke Peepholes, not tiny holes, but peepholes in that dark. We need to make larger holes, not just peepholes, into the darkness, the darkness of the world. If we are to live our lives in the light and lead others toward Christ, then I believe that we need to build three new kinds of windows in the tunnel. First, we need windows that face outward. Have you ever noticed which way the beautiful stained glass windows of church are directed? Most only tell our stories to those already safely inside the illumined interior of the church. To those trapped outside in the tunnel, our beautiful windows are only hazy, multicolored blurs, a visual cacophony of confusion incapable of casting meaningful, penetrating light on anything. One of the biggest barriers to God-bearing in the 21st century is the church seems to be a closed community. An invisible-for-members-only sign is found on too many of our churches. Bethany does a pretty good job of removing that sign. It's one of the reasons I choose to be here. We will face, however, even more of a challenge to keep the sign removed As we continue to grow, it is time to turn our stained glass windows outward, to tell our stories to the world. A word of caution, though. Once we turn them around, it must be light enough inside for people to see outside. Unless the community inside is on fire for God there will not be enough light to illuminate the windows so that the world can see them from the outside. Next, we need windows that let in the view of the outside. Some churches have forgone the expense of stained-glass windows, but have instead erected panes of frosted, glazed-over, or intentionally crackled glass to obscure any view of what lies outside the walls of the sanctuary. In the early 18th century, when Imperial English colonized the wild Welsh, proper English travelers who ventured from England to Wales used to close the curtains of their carriage to shut out the horrid scenery. They didn't want to be disturbed by the horrors of the outside world. For us to see the outside world as it is, rather than through our rose-colored or frosted windows, means we must come to terms with the fact that it's a different world out there. How people see themselves, see life, see the world, and see the church has changed and is changing. Churches are no longer the hub of people's lives, social or otherwise, Easter break is spring break. Christmas is winter break. People rarely keep the same job for their working years or live in the same house all of their adult lives. The normal lifespan has increased by 10 to 15 years. It's time we open the curtains. What realities are hidden behind frosted windows? How can we offer light to the world? Finally, we need a new stained glass window. I'm going to ask you to help me out here. I need a little congregational participation. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment and keep them closed until I tell you to open them. open them. What did you see? You have just witnessed Moses' repeat of coming down the mountain with the tablet of new revelation for the 21st century. The third window for this world out there is a new stained-glass window, the stained-glass window for the 21st century, the computer screen. This new world will not get its inspiration in the Gutenberg way. We Protestants have had a love affair with the book-bound book ever since typesetting was invented in the 15th century. The mission to put a Bible in every hand and in every pew and even in every motel room pushed the church and Christ's gospel message out into the darkest places in the 19th and early 20th century. Today, however, the way people carry on the fastest communication and obtain their most important information is no longer from the pages of a book. Instead, our postmodern culture is turning toward a new kind of stained glass window for one of its sources of light. There's a very good chance that all of us look at the window at some point every day. When you boot up Microsoft Windows, what is the first visual you see? The colored panes of a software stained glass window. Christianity is now undergoing a visual metamorphosis. Our image of images must be altered. The image, not the word, has become the primary unit of cultural currency. I grew up in a world where books, the written word, was better, and images or pictures were held in lower esteem. A book with pictures in it was inferior to, to a book with no pictures. In fact, if you had a lot of pictures, you had a children's book or a coffee table book. Christians of the 21st century will be hypermediated Christians who experience God in a variety of ways, including a sensory web made possible through powerful new visualization techniques one of the reasons why the three generations born after 1964 are less frequently in church or have not become christians is we have not made it easy for them to become hypermediated believers and metamorphic believers through use of the multisensory in worship in all aspects of our sharing of the gospel We can begin by listening, listening to those who are not here. It is in listening that we will connect across generations. Windows facing outward, windows that let us see the outside world, and the new stained-glass window that enables connection through the generations will make our tunnel vision A vision for God. Harvey Pennock, a famous golf instructor, was coaching a woman who went on to win the amateur Texas Women's Championship. He approached her right up to the minute—he coached her right up to the minute of her tea time. And at that moment, she said to Pennock, "'Well, I have to go out and play now.' He replied, "'What do you mean you have to go out and play?' You get to go out and play. We don't have to enter the tunnel at the end of the light. Rather, we get to enter the tunnel at the end of the light. Will we be a church that pokes new windows in the tunnel at the end of the light? I think Moses gets it or at least most of it. In seeking God's guidance, Moses is direct. He begs for a glimpse of God, and once he is honored with a peek, he finds his face forever emblazoned with God's radiance. All who subsequently see him know Moses has met God, and thus they begin to listen to him. We'll close with a story. It's a true story. In a faraway land, not so long ago, a group of folks had gathered in a beautiful mountain retreat setting. The group was far from homogenous, mixed, they were being mixed ethnically, ages 18 to over 80, and coming from various religious backgrounds. There were about 50 people And all had come with the hope of deepening their spiritual journey. It was an intense weekend, filled with worship, study, meditation walks, prayer times, all while getting to know each other. Sharing our stories, we took off the masks that hid the deepest part of us, as if peeling the layers of an onion away to get to the essentials of our being. As you can imagine, there was laughter, tears, connections that would last long after the retreat. As the time together drew to a close, the facilitator gathered everyone in a circle. She asked us to close our eyes and listen. Facilitator led a guided meditation that noted the awkwardness of the first evening that we were together, and then followed it with how each person became more real with each passing hour. Like the layers of an onion peeled away, each participant had found deeper and deeper gifts within. The facilitator then asked in this final session, For each to mentally peel away the remaining layers, all of the remaining layers of the onion, until there were no more layers. We stood now in the center, in the center of our being, the very core of existence. She asked, Do you see the light? It is the light of Christ that each of us carries within. As you leave this place, remember the light, cherish the light, and live the life of light. I invite you into some moments of silent meditation and then to meditate as Brenda plays.